Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music. I am Tosh. And I'm Kim Lee. And each episode of Book Music, we focus one book on music. It could be a, a book about music history. It could be a musician's memoir or a biography on a musician or even a fictional character who happens to be a musician or composer or music person of some sort. But nevertheless, book music is pretty much about a book about music. Today, we're going to talk about, I think, a really wonderful book. Yeah, I always say that about books that are featured on, on book music, but I usually lie about them, you know, about those other books. <laughs> but, but since, Not today. No, today I sincerely uh, think this is a, a really wonderful book. And the book is, drum roll, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Nina Simone's Gum by Warren Ellis published by Faber and Faber. And we have a special guest to discuss this book, Nina Simone's Gum. Our special guest is Andrea Tektrick. Welcome. Is it Andrea or Andrea? Andrea. Okay. Andrea. <laughs> but, Andrea. Um, as long as you don't call me anything uh, derogatory, I'm pretty okay. I'll answer. <laughs> yeah, that's how I am too. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me. Well, I really appreciate the invite. It's an honor and a pleasure. Andrea, you're the number one fan of Nick Cave that I know of. Yeah, you mean the dark poet of our age? Yes. Yes, the dark poet of our age, um, the icon of moodiness, the, the black star of hopelessness and hope at the same time, <laughs> and a damn good-looking man as well. Um, oh, he's very well dressed. <laughs> yes, handsome and uh, well coiffed, and with those bespoke suits. What you know? What what's not to love? I know. And they and he has a band uh, called the Bad Seeds, which are they're truly bad. I mean, they're badass. Uh, again, there's been so many members of uh, many, so many individuals in that band over the years. The one thing they have in common is that they're all strikingly good looking and well dressed. And <laughs> yes, and with um, other projects of their own. Yes, they're not. They're not just like mindless uh, studio musicians. Not saying that studio musicians are mindless. Uh, you know, I don't want. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me right there. No, no. What would we do without session musicians? Yes, we need session musicians. <laughs> but Absolutely. the bad. But the bad seeds are particular, specific individuals who collaborate, this is the key word, they collaborate with Nick Cave. And each member, each member of the Bad Seed offers something very unique to the overall sound of uh, the Bad Seeds. And Warren Ellis, who wrote Nina Simone's Gum, which is our sort of, our, what is our feature subject matter, uh, is a member of the Bad Seeds, as well as a member of the Dirty... Three. The Dirty Three. The Dirty Three, which is actually, this is hard to believe, there's actually three members in the Dirty Three. Right? <laughs> no, no, no irony there. No irony. <laughs> you, you, you get what you're, you get the title, they're dirty and there are three of them. <laughs> <laughs> but are they really dirty? Yeah. Maybe that's where the irony is. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, they, um, I do think they uh, make some beautiful uh, instrumental art rock for sure. Yes. And Warren Ellis is, he's a violinist, but he, he's pretty much a multi-instrumentalist, right? Yeah, he sure is. He, um, his main instrument is uh, violin, but he plays, he also plays 
viola, yeah. um, flute, yes. lute, yeah. mandolin, um, synths of various kinds. And uh, he's, you know, he's really talented and um, has really transformed uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds sound um, since becoming the primary collaborator with Nick Cave. Um, there was um, there was another member of the Bad Seeds uh, who collaborated with Nick Cave for about 36 years, and that is Mick Harvey. And that yes. he was instrumental in um, helping Cave uh, come up with that iconic Bad Seeds sound um, that some of you may know from Peaky Blinders, yeah. the, um, the theme song to Peaky Blinders, um, Red Right Hand, which is you know, one of, one of the songs that, um, people know Nick Cave for. Um, so that whole period, basically from 1984, mm. uh, through 2009, um, Harvey was the primary collaborator with Nick Cave. Um, and before that he was, uh, also, he was a schoolmate of, and chum of, of Caves. And so was also on or in uh, the birthday party and uh, an early band called the boys next door. So they had a long history together and um, Warren Ellis joined the band in around 1996, 97 and um, slowly became the primary uh, collaborator with cave. They also do a lot of uh, film scores together. They collaborate on film scores. They've done, they've done about, I don't know, 10 or 11 scores at this point together um, and have just come out with um, a Warren, it's a Nick Cave, Warren Ellis record. That's not a Bad Seeds record. It's called Carnage. And uh, Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, I heard it for the first time about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> the yeah. whole thing in 10 minutes? <laughs> I fast forwarded. Well, no, yeah, I fast forward. yeah. Um, I, I'd be interested to um, hear what you see after, or what you think after a few a few listens. It's um, mm. it's a departure for sure, but um, in the, I think in the same mold as the last three Bad Seeds records, yeah. Push the Sky Away, uh-huh. The Skeleton Tree, and Ghosting. That's uh, 2019. Yeah. So. There's such a big difference between Mick Harvey era Bad Seeds and Warren Ellis um, years with the Bad Seeds. It's a totally different sound to me. I kind of like I like it because I like the importance of of a contributor who adds something to that artist or that band's world. And once they're gone, they are gone, and and somebody else sort of not takes over, but somebody else you know takes over that position. And does their own thing in that format or in that in that in that landscape? Yeah. And, and you know, and, and I love I love McCarvey's work with uh, with Nick Cave, and I also like McCarvey's um, recordings of uh, Serge Gainsbourg's songs. Um, yes, I I love those. I love those covers. They're very thoughtful. Yeah, very thoughtful. And um, you know, it's not easy to do several cover records no. of a magisterial figure like Gainsborough, you know, yeah. so, um, it's impressive. I, uh, you know, and I, he's, he's a great songwriter, yes. um, and has done a lot of work, a lot of solo records, uh, after his departure from the bad seeds and is collaborating with other people as well, which, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he carries on, 
um, as does a lot of the other ex-members of the Bad Seeds. I mean, you've got Barry Adamson of the magazine fame who has yes. a who has a solo career now. Um, and then, of course, there's Blixa Bargeld, uh, you know, the inimitable Blixa Bargeld from uh, I stirred it. Oh God. I, I'm going to, I'm always, I can never say. I stirred Zen Neubutten, I think. <laughs> Something you, like thank that. Thank you. I, <laughs> I, I walk in yeah. kind of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, he was, he was a founding member, but yeah. um, you know, we really wanted to concentrate on um, his original, um, one of his original projects. Um, yeah. And so he's gone back to that and he's doing collaborations with a um, Portuguese uh, artists as well that they're mm. so he's putting out some really beautiful records so and, and he's a chef or he, he has like sort of a, a online cooking show sometimes yeah really? he, um, <laughs> yeah I, I follow him on instagram and he um is you know showing what he's making for lunch too and uh-huh. uh, he's just he's he's an interesting cat and it's um yeah it's nice to see that these people are um all thriving i mean kid, kid congo powers that yes. played um, early on in one of the, you know, early iterations of the band. Um, of course, from Gun Club, and uh, he had a stint with the Cramps, uh, and he has a new band, the Pink Monkey Birds. I saw them touring in Salt Lake City probably about four years ago, and they're just, they're fantastic. So oh, great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they all, they all, and again, they all have, like, really strong characteristics. They're strong people, strong personalities. Um yeah. Nick Nick Cave was is is really smart working with these people. I think you know he, choosing a right collaborator is of course essential, but he chooses really interesting people to work with. It's not this some um, you know nameless, you know maybe a talented musician, but they're they're a little bit something extra. They're they're people with, with vision, yeah. with you know with a with they they see the world in a certain way. They're bad seeds. They are bad <laughs> seeds, and uh, many of the bad seeds. Um, have collaborated with Marianne Faithful, uh, yes. the subject of one of your last podcasts. Yeah, yeah and, um, and she's like a legendary uh, bad seed. I mean, she's <laughs> she's a bad seed without knowing she's a bad seed. She's yeah. a bad seed. Yeah, that Warren Ellis yeah. thing that he did with her just recently is beautiful, where she's that reciting is, poetry. Yeah, yeah, that's stunning. I mean, you know, she can't she can't sing anymore after her. COVID oh, illness, uh, but she's still creating and doing work. And uh, that is a beautiful record. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. It is a wonderful record. I think it's interesting as a big theme in this book of Nina Simone's gum is collaboration. And he talks a lot about, you know, the, the trust that you put in people and, and what is it that attracts you to certain people and what attracts them to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's obviously very important to him who he's working with and, and the kind of responsibility that you have with a collaboration. Yes. I was thinking we should give a little background of the book. I mean, first of all, it's it's Nina Simone's gum, and, <laughs> and the landscape is the Meltdown Festival in London that was curated by Nick Cave in nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. That's correct. You're correct. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, I took some good notes this time. <laughs> <laughs> and the Meltdown Festival is really a, a great idea, a great concept that has actually got produced. They have like guest curators and mostly sort of legendary figures like Nick Cave. Uh, David Bowie did a festival. Uh, Robert Wyatt did a festival. Um, um, yeah, so all sorts of musicians. Elvis Costello. Uh, 
Massive Attack. Um, so basically, they choose the artist to perform at their festival. And I think it takes place within like two weeks of, of, of engagements in, in London. And so this is the Meltdown Festival curated by Nick Cave. And one of the stars, well, beyond a star, a legend, beyond a legend, the iconic and wonderful Nina Simone. Dr. Yeah. Nina Simone. Dr. <laughs> yes. Which, uh, which in uh, Nick Cave's short, sharp intro, yeah. he explains that uh, before the her set he or she summoned him into her her uh the waiting room yeah. her little her little her little room and uh basically said you will introduce me as dr nita simone yes um which she of course complied with happily uh you know he he was a huge fan and it was one of those moments for everybody there um that they'll never forget, you know, here's yeah. the, you know, the legendary, the incomparable Dr. Nina Simone yes. on stage. And I guess we should really talk about the, uh, the pro- provenance of the title. Yes. So Warren Ellis was there. This was um, early on um, in Ellison Cave's friendship. And he had just joined the Bad Seeds a couple of years earlier. And he was transfixed by Simone's performance and crept up onto the stage after the show, um, after seeing Nina stick some chewing gum underneath the piano uh, before she started singing. So he grabbed the gum, wrapped it in Nina Simone's towel that she was using to pat her face of sweat, et cetera, and wrapped it in, uh, a Tower Records bag and secreted it away for 20 years. Now I know you. I know you. You both are licorice pizza alumna yes. alumni. Yeah. And, yeah. and, yes. and um, I'm a Tower Records alumni. I ah. worked for Tower. I worked for the books division for years. Ah. Um, I actually worked at Tower for a little while too. Did you? Okay. In New yeah, Orleans. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? I um I was actually a, a regional manager for that store at one point. Um, oh, wow. But, <laughs> yeah, back in the day. So, um, but um, I just I do. I'm enamored of that detail. I have to say that the once yeah. ubiquitous uh, yellow and red Tower Records bag. So <laughs> I like that too. I mean, the whole package. I mean, the gum is this relic, but the towel is as well, and the bag. It's like the whole thing together. That they almost should have probably put them in this museum exhibition that the gum was in t- as as a whole. You know, <laughs> I really feel that they may have missed the boat on that um, for sure. You know. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and that's, that's the, the interesting thing about this, how the gum came to become a holy relic, basically. Yeah. Um, so in 2019, Nick Cave was putting together um, materials for a retrospective that was going to be held at the Copen- uh, a Copenhagen Museum. And it's called the Stranger Than Kindness retrospective. And mm-hmm. um, he asked Ellis to dig something out to add to um, one of the halls, the Hall of Gratitude. And of course, um, Warren Ellis thought of the gum immediately. Yeah. And um, so he dug it out 
had casts made of it and produced 20 silver facsimiles, one for every year he had hidden away this treasure, um, plus a few in white gold. Wow. And that's the thing that I love about this book. It's, you know, it, it chronicles the process of transforming a discarded piece of gum forgotten by a musical icon on stage into this holy relic. But um, it also works as a, well, it's part uh, making of a musician memoir, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's part homage to three women musicians who uh, Ellis uh, talks of extensively in the book, Nina Simone, of course, mm-hmm. Alice Coltrane, and Greek folk sensation Arletta. Yeah, I never heard of her. Have you heard of her? Um, I hadn't. I had not heard of her, but I went down a rabbit hole, I will admit to you both, um, and ah. listened to a lot of her work, and it's just fantastic. Uh-huh. So I understand why he was, you know, stricken by her work. And um, there's a whole section in the book that discusses um, how he had somebody gave him a tape of Arletta's work and he just listened to it over and over and then lost it at one point. Um, and then later on, um, when he had formed the Dirty Three in the early 90s, they actually played one of the songs, one of his favorite songs um, by Arletta. And it's on their one of their records, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, this book... Uh, has a lot going on. I mean, there's um, appearances by Beethoven's ghost. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, it's just, it's such a rollicking romp really. Um, mm-hmm. But, but then, you know, it works. If you, if you were only to read the section on um, the loving, how they were lovingly curating this show, especially around yeah. Nina Simone's gum and, the painstaking processes that they went through to make the cast of the gum. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, actually make facsimiles in silver and white gold and then have the original sent to Copenhagen or, you know, hand delivered to Copenhagen. It had to be hand delivered because yeah. Ellis was, there was no way it was going to, he was going to let it out of his, his site. Yeah. Um, and then preserved there and stored there in the museum until the show, you know, could open. It was right. delayed because of COVID lockdowns. Mm-hmm. I was actually supposed to go to that. Um, I was set to visit Copenhagen uh, to see that show. Oh, and yeah. I, I, uh, we had to mix that trip because of uh, the COVID lockdowns. I, I have a question. Was, was the exhibit all based on Nick Cave? I mean, is, was it like a museum? I mean, was it an exhibition of Nick Cave's career, yeah. history, writings, yeah. everything? Yeah, it was uh, a retrospective of his career, but um, through objects. Curated by him? Yeah, it was It was curated um, by him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was somebody who was, you know, doing it right. on the, the museum uh, in conjunction with the museum. Yeah. Um, like there's a reproduction of his loft in Berlin when he was uh, writing uh, and the ass saw the angel. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a retrospective through objects in many ways. So it made sense that Nina Simone's gum was part of that mm-hmm. exhibit. I believe the exhibit's open now. 
Yeah, they, um, it's, I think it's it was going delayed to, and, yeah. yeah, it was delayed, I think maybe through February. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry that I missed that, but someday, yeah. hopefully it will, it will tour. Can gum tour well around the world? <laughs> well, then he talks about being worried about that in the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And then almost the, um, there was uh, almost this, uh, like a superstition around like losing this the gum i mean a lot of people who like a lot of people at the museum were scared and like were like okay i have to go and check on the gum in the middle of the night uh-huh. that sort of uh-huh. is it there is it okay right because his passion for this piece of gum and what it meant and how it had like you know become something other than a piece of gum i mean it really is like a holy relic yeah um and you know that stands in for the majesty that is Dr. Nina Simone, yeah. And and what her work meant to him, it it translates to the people that are working with him and collaborating with him on this project. Yeah. And um, I have never heard of this like the this kind of fervor of this scope. Um, there was only one other time that I've ever heard of this sort of superstition and worry about mm. an object, and that was. Um, uh, I saw in Washington, D.C., probably around 2002 or so, actually around the time that I saw Nina Simone at Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C. Oh. I, um, I attended the last day of an exhibit for the great Spanish-Mexican surrealist painter, Renato Osvaros. Mm. And she um, had given before her death she had given many of her paintings to friends Uh and um some of them some were collected in the national gallery in mexico city but a lot of her work was in private hands um at that time a lot of those people have now passed on and so that you know galleries are dealing with it and whatnot but um people were definitely afraid that they might die Mm. if the when the paintings went out of their possession. Mm. Um, and it's, it reminds me of this uh, undue, um, but, but perhaps I, I, I'm not even going to say it's undue, it's, but this like fervor and um, yeah. serious worry about um, the gum coming to some harm when it was out of mm-hmm. uh, Ellis's possession. Right. 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 And he talks about how amazed he was at all of the people and the many people in the process of getting it cast and getting it, transferring it to the exhibit and arranging how it was going to be displayed. Everybody was just as serious about it as he was and took it with great responsibility and worried about it just as much as him. And the sort of respect that they had for him and its meaning for him and um, yeah, he said, you know, and he said he was amazed that the gum brought out the best in people, you know, and it was yeah. kind of like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of, you know, what's, it's interesting about William, Warren Ellis is that he's, he very much comes up to me as a, as a conceptual artist. Mm-hmm. I agree. There's not that many musicians, they, they paint, they make sculptures, but very few are conceptual artists. Right. And I thought of that, I thought in the context of Fluxus, uh, which uh-huh. was the uh, early, um, the 50s and 60s art movement that was sort of uh, playful and funny sometimes, but also very serious. Mm-hmm. How right. they deal with subject, how they deal with objects, and 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 very much sort of uh, like the works, uh, including you know offshoot of the fluxes or part of fluxes was uh, 
Yoko Ono. Mm -hmm. And reading about his obsession with the gum sort of reminds me a little bit of Yoko Ono's obsession with her work and the objects that she's working on or she's making a replica of. And, mm -hmm. um, and same was like Joseph Bo uh, Boyce, who's another uh, mm, yeah. artist. So yeah. it was interesting, you know, so I think when Warren Ellis showed the importance of this gum, uh, you know, to a museum person, they're trained to get it right away that this is not this gum or this is not right. this a joke. This is like a, they, they have to treat, but professionally, they have to treat it very seriously. Of course. Because yeah. they're going to go and exhibit and, um, it has to be documented. So that is very much, you know, he was in the right company with the right people when he, uh, to expose his, uh, some people think a very odd um, obsession or uh, right. or possession of this, of this gum, of this piece of gum that, that was chewed by his lung. You know what this also made me think of? It made me think of the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Uh, yes. Yes. You know, because it's the Indeed. same thing where it's the stories behind the objects, yes. which are really the more important thing, you know. And and uh, I, for people that don't know, the Museum of Jurassic Technology is a museum. It's a very small museum in Culver City that has these displays that's almost sort of Victorian Mm -hmm. um, of all these strange objects, and then it's got tons and tons of texts explaining them, and yes. the stories behind them are just really, really magical and wonderful. Yeah, that's a special place. Yeah. They build a, they build a whole narration of, of a story behind the, the object that they're showing. Exactly, and yeah. and Nina Simone's gum or anybody's gum <laughs> would, would not be uh, would, would not be out of place at the Jurassic. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. it would not. I, I could see like a whole exhibit being, it would be like the primary exhibit, I, yes. I feel like, you know, for a few months uh -huh. um, because uh -huh. there's so much um, narrative that could be built around it. Um, you know, and that's the thing too about this book. We haven't talked about it. There's um, a visual element. There's a lot of photography in this yes. book. Documenting the process and... Yeah, yeah. which is which is great. Um, I just found that um, that just adds this other element. And like you're saying, um, Tosh, really, he is, he does have um, definitely a conceptual artist. Mindset, right? I, I agree. And, um, you know, like we haven't discussed the Samsonite suitcase that he would, <laughs> not suitcase, Samsonite briefcase that he would take around on all of his tours early on. Um, and that's where... Nina Simone's gum was for a while um, wrapped up in the towel and the tower records bag. Um, and there were so many interesting things in there, found objects, yeah. letters from important people in his life, mm -hmm. um, tapes from, um, from people who like had a formative influence on him, etc. And it's, um, it's really true. He, um, he's definitely, he's a collector Yes, and he lists he lists all the stuff that's in his in his briefcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a photo of it too in the book. Yeah, yeah. Quite it's nice. <laughs> it's so great. That's like it. Yeah, that's uh, near the end of the book, and it's quite a charming passage passage when he um, lists everything that's in there. Uh -huh. um, in this book, you know, it's so interesting. It's not it's not a um, straightforward narrative at all, no. and it moves back and forth through time. But I I did not feel that. Um, that was jarring at all. I um, I really feel that the thread of Nina Simone's gum and um, the glory and magic of music yeah. and musical 
icons yeah. um, and collaboration, as we are talking about, uh, those threads hold this book together and um, inform it throughout. Yeah. And the yeah. book, the book moves very smoothly from one part to the other part. And again, it's like, I think just because of his, because uh, of his strong character and his, uh, you know, the way he sees things. But you know what struck me is, is, is not funny, but it's really odd is the, um, at the beginning of the book, he talks about him and his brother witnessing clowns in the middle of the night mm-hmm. in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's like, they're, they're making hamburgers. <laughs> right, right. I know I couldn't figure out if that was a dream or. <laughs> and, and you get the father, you know, the father, and, and he talked, and through this part, he talked about his father's uh, uh, interest in making music, which were, he made a few records, but mostly on a, a semi-amateur level, but mm-hmm. kind of eerie. And, yeah. and, and the father's reaction to the clowns could either be like, yes, children, yes, there's clowns out there, but they'll be gone by when you wake up tomorrow morning, like a fairy tale, right. or, you know, <laughs> like a fancy. Or he could actually mean it, he could be actually telling the truth, and there is actually clowns in the backyard. Yeah. And they'll be leaving when the mother, when their mother, uh, his wife, We'll take out the laundry out uh, the next morning. <laughs> so it can go both ways, you know? And, yeah. and what, what's kind of great about the story is that Warren Ellis just sort of leaves it there. It, it's not like, it's it's not obviously a false story. It's not obviously a true story, but it, it is a narrative that's, uh, that's very um, visually strong, but also um, uh, kind of, for me, quite moving. You know, the, the, the child's imagination at work mm-hmm. and, how maybe that works in his life as an artist and as a musician, maybe even to like Nina Simone's gum, you know? And I presume all this is true. I mean, I think it is true. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I didn't witness Nina Simone. I didn't witness Warren Ellis taking the gum. Nick Cave did. <laughs> no, I don't think he saw him take it. Okay. He didn't know until quite a long time. Ah, right, right. Okay. What yeah. he saw him, he saw him creeping up onto the stage, though. Right. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, that's um, in the in the intro. He says he sees him creeping up onto the stage after you know this look of like transfiction on his face during the set. So this whole thing's like mythology. You know, Nick Cave is very much into mythology. Nick Cave himself is a mythology character figure. Bad seeds definitely are, and Warren else as well. So they're dealing with another mythology, Nina Simone. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that she's even a human being uh, sometimes. You know, there's this incredible presence. Right. And you know, so it's like, so it's it's mythology, and he has a piece of this other piece of mythology from actually was touched and chewed on by Nina Simone. So it has. It's in a way, it's sort of like the clowns in the backyard. I mean, it's we don't know for sure. Like the, like the Jurassic technology is like, oh man, I love this story. This is such a great story. And then you're thinking, wait, this is a story, or is this right? Is it true, or isn't? It? Yeah, yeah, you don't know. You don't know, and it yeah. doesn't matter. No, it's it just doesn't. magical. Yes, you know? yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it's the same um, with uh, the appearance. About I think it's three times the uh, appearance of. Uh, Beethoven's ghost to him uh and um, how he basically goes into some sort of fugue state um, after this presence um, appears to him. And I think that's part of it too. I mean, because Beethoven is a major figure in his life as well. Yeah. And um, I definitely think 
I think that's a, a big part of this mythology. And he ends, he actually ends the book um, with an entry from uh, 1 November 2017, All Souls Day. Yes. And uh, he was in Vienna on tour with the Bad Seeds for the Skeleton Tree Tour. And um, I was there. I was at that show. Good mm. for you. <laughs> it, yeah, you I was, uh, it was uh, very hard to fetch tickets on All Souls Day. Let me just tell you. We were supposed ah. to pick them up at a bookstore, and it took some doing. Ah. But we made the show. Um, we were doing all of that around the time that uh, Warren Ellis was at the cemetery in Vienna looking for Beethoven's grave. And um, ah. a young woman helps him find the grave, um, which is, this is just, I mean, talking about mythology, this is like the stuff of, you know, legends or fairy tales where a young woman takes you by the hand and leads you to mm -hmm. the great master's grave. And then you fall down, overwhelmed, crying, yes, um, and completely transformed once again. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, I just this book works on so many levels. I and I, you know, the more I think about it, and the more I've gone back to read several passages again, I just I think that um, it's very special, and there really is no comparison. Yeah, yeah, it's a sticker. I mean, it's definitely a, a totally re-readable book. Um, mm -hmm. Either read it totally from beginning to end or just reading sections. And again, it's it's the beauty of how he tells the tale. And again, you know, it, it, I actually believe him. I mean, I, I mean, there's no, I mean, there's there's no question of doubt really that it can go either way. You know, as a reader reading somebody's text, you know, what mm -hmm. I don't know the author personally, so I don't know. But yeah. what I do know is, I think. It, the sincere way of him telling the tale and it's done in such a way that if I, if I find out it's totally false I would not be burned by it I would be totally like ah right. it's still great you know yeah and right. I found there was is there such a dreamy elegiac quality to the book and I also thought there was a real intimacy to this book like I really felt like he was to a certain degree letting us into his inner sanctum you know he was yeah. really it was a very personal book for him even though as a memoir, it's not really a traditional memoir in the sense of, you know, I grew up here, I went to school here, I met this person, I did this and that X, Y, Z. Um, you know, you really don't get a whole lot of that at all, actually. No. You get a little bit here and there. But yeah. I feel like I did actually get to learn about a really important part, at least, of who he is. Yes. Um, it, did, it definitely had an intimacy to it that you don't find in a lot of memoirs. And he's a great prose writer too. I mean, he's a really talented uh, a writer. Mm -hmm. I agree um, with his like just a very unique voice. Yeah, uh huh. He's a true bad seed, and every <laughs> he is a bad seed. He, he is a bad seed. You know, um, Tosh, I mm -hmm. I can't claim the top spot um, of all of your acquaintances um, as. A bad seed, like you know, a, a tried and true bad seed fan, um, Dave Ehrlich, who also appeared on this podcast when uh, you were talking about the fall. Yes, um, is also a huge fan. I oftentimes run into him at uh, bad seed concerts in Southern California, and uh, sometimes you know coordinate to hang out before. Mm -hmm. And um, he's also somebody that um, I think would you know 
definitely would love this book. And, yeah, he uh, just posted it on Instagram, I think, yesterday. <laughs> there you go. I, I was like, Dave, you're going to love our next podcast. <laughs> there you go. So um, a shout out to Dave Ehrlich. Yes. And um, he was a Virgin Records guy. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. So we, we've got like the big three in there now. Licorice Pizza, Tower Records, Virgin. Where's Music Plus? Anybody from Music Plus out there? <laughs> um, you know, I was, the funny thing is there's, there's, there's a lot of humor in this book too. And I was especially cracking up when he talked about how the museum's insurance brokers needed to assess the value of the yeah. gum. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do you even do that? And at first I think they said like a thousand dollars or something. And, and then they were like, Oh no, that's not enough. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you assess the value of something like that? It's, it's I invaluable, know. you know, it it's is. irreplaceable. It's yeah. So. And that's, and that's very fluxus like too, to challenge the importance of the, of the object, but also how one documents the object, of course, but also the worth of that object and why is it worth more than any other object? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, it's, it's monetary or emotional value, you know, and yeah. the two are so completely different. Yeah. And for him, I mean, he's, he's such a, um, the collection is like part of a greater ritual, right? That yeah. is um, informed by, um, by his own life and what, uh, what inspires him and who inspires him because there's a, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking of, a passage where he's writing about um, Arletta when he um, finally met her, she invites him to coffee at her place in Greece. And he was on tour with the bad seeds, I believe at the time. And maybe the dirty three, I don't, don't hold me to that, but she offers him one of um, various uh, marbles, white marbles that have been carved um, on a table. And so he picks one and that's something that he carries around as a talisman as well. Yeah. And, um, so that whole thread, you know, runs through this and, um, and I get it, you know, I, I have, I have little talismans that I carry with me and there's some, you know, I, I, I feel that, um, I believe him when he talks about all of these things because there's something, yeah. Um, there's like protective qualities. You, you imbue right. these objects with pro, uh, sort of a protection. Yes. Um, so. I, I actually have a fear of that. I, I fear of safe keeps and objects like that. Um, and reading really? the book, yeah, reading the book, it, it really struck a, uh, um, it's not a negative fear. It's actually a real fear. I have a fear of holding on to something that's so important, like an object. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like to put, I'd like to mentally think of the importance of that object, but I don't want to keep that namesake or object that safe. And maybe it's because I think I think it's all due to uh, when I was a very young child, I lost a lot of things in a, in a, in a mudslide. Our home got totally destroyed. And I think ever since then, since I was 10 years old, I had sort of this fear or being aware of like this object, you must hold this object, you must not lose this object. This object will keep you safe. This may have like a religious connotation for you or spiritual or, you know, sexual, who knows. But what, what Warren does, which I admire him greatly for, but for me, it would be an impossible thing to do. Well, this is such a responsibility too, because if you lose the object, yeah. then what does that mean about the relationship that it, you know, entailed? 
Yeah. Um, and then there's sort of like, oh no, is something bad going to happen now just because you lost the object or you damaged the object? Yeah. Or... I mean, what would happen between like if the gun got lost and right. what, what would happen to his relationship with the museum? What would happen to his relationship with Nick Cave? You know, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and it would go on and on and on. I mean, like, gum is, 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 is really important. There's another thing is the gum, okay, gum is a gum. So, is it because it was Nina Simone's gum that he she was chewing, or uh-huh. is it more of a remembrance of that performance that he took the gum? Or, or I think or, it's both. Both. I think both. Yeah, but I would have he would have to speak to that, I guess. But he seemed to be enamored of both. I mean, he's obviously very enamored of her, but he also I think maybe that was the only time he'd seen her perform, and he you know yeah. it was such a transformative moment for him. So. Yeah, um, I and I I think it was. It seems the way he writes about it, it just seemed like it was. He it was not premeditated. He just crawled yeah. up on the stage and went and got that gum. Yeah, that's interesting. That that you know, he must have noticed the gun right away because that's the beginning of her set when she sat down at the piano, yeah. takes yeah. the gun from her mouth, does the wrapping, puts her into the piano. So. For the whole performance, and at least in the back of his mind, he must have been thinking about that. <laughs> you think? I don't know. <laughs> so that's a very interesting, you know, that's 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 an interesting thing. They're like, wow, she's so incredible, the gum. She's so incredible. I can't, oh, my voice, is, she's so beautiful. The gum. You know, this is, the gum, the gum, the gum. And the moment when she gets off the stage, and there's a moment of time where he can actually, from I guess from the audience, I've been in that, that concert hall. It, it's possible for uh, audience members to get on the stage easily, sort of a, uh-huh. sort of a low uh, a stage. So, yeah. you know, so, so he must have this, it's, it's interesting he had this in his mind, the way his brain works, that he could do two things at once, really be in the moment of join a show, but then he wanted to uh, hold on to that moment of sorts or hold on to that present mm-hmm. by, by having the yeah. gun. And we do those with our iPhones. I mean, I understand that. It's easy, you know. But this is something where he really had to work at it, and he couldn't record it on an iPhone or a, a, yeah. a tape machine. He had to actually go out and physically do something to 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 get this important event right. as well as this presence into his life, you know, on a, <laughs> on a permanent level. And it's funny that he never talked about it for like thirteen or fourteen years. He just quietly had this gum, and then he mentioned it on that documentary, the Nick Cave documentary. 20,000 Days on Earth, which I actually rewatched the other day because I had completely forgotten him talking about this. And and when I watched it again, it was very quick. They're just sitting at a table in the kitchen and um, there's, and Nick says, oh, remember that Nina Simone concert, how fantastic it was? And Nick is going on and on about how great it was. And then yeah. Warren just kind of casually says, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and Nick says, oh, you remember she put her gum on the piano? And Nick says, yeah, I got that gum. <laughs> I mean, uh, Warren says, yeah, I got that gum. And then yes. and Nick kind of doesn't even process it at first. He just keeps on going. Yeah. And um, and then like a few seconds later, he's like, wait, what? You got the gum? Oh, I'm so jealous. You know? <laughs> But that's it. It's kind of like a very quick moment in the yeah. film. It's uh, it's kind of funny how casual it was. Yeah. And now it has been translated into a book, mm-hmm. and it is in the Hall of Gratitude uh, in Copenhagen at the Stranger Than Kindness Nick Cave retrospective. Yes. And apparently, people um, who find out about the gum you know he was wearing it in a restaurant and he explained to the waitress um 
what it was and she wanted to touch it, she was immediately charmed by it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there, I mean, it is such a fantastical set of events that had to occur for yeah. this to all happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's just something about it. It's just, it's, um, it's quite charming, really. Right. This book could be a, easily a documentary or or a uh, a, a film. You could, I I could see this. I don't always easily say that about a book, but I could see this book uh -huh. working on another medium, like like cinema. It's funny because he does start out talking in the beginning of the book a little bit about his childhood, and he was always kind of a collector, and that's in fact even how he got into music because he talks about how he found an accordion on the mm. local dump. Yeah. And, right. um, yeah. yeah. And he's constantly talking about all the stuff that he's collecting. So, I mean, it's, um, it, it's clear how he got to this point. You know, it's, it's easy to see how he came to this point where this gum came into his possession and it became such an important thing and, and how for him, anything can turn into something magical. You know, it's not, uh, it's, it all comes from within him that this, you know, he talks about that, how the things that we collect are really only important to us because of our own personal reasons. It's not a monetary thing or it's not necessarily important to anybody else, but it's important because we've given it this importance. Yeah, there's um, on page 83 of the um, advanced copy, I, I don't have um, a finished copy with me, but he says, the things we collect are the things that are of significance to us first and foremost. Outside your orbit and people connected, they have no significance. They're specific things. These things that are precious to us are really just precious to us. But that's the interesting thing that this uh, Nina Simone's gun defies that passage and that notion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, he infects everyone else with his uh, yeah. the importance of it, you know? It's yeah. There's another passage where he says, I've lost, I lost control of the gum. It was out of my control. And uh -huh. that's, and that's when it becomes larger than life and becomes a holy relic Yeah. yeah exactly. to more than just more than him and his circle. Yeah. When he loses control. Isn't that I, interesting? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's another reason yeah. why I fear having objects. I'm afraid of losing control. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you're, that's, um, you're a purist, Tosh. And, um, I, salute you for for that mm. um i um uh, i'm not of that ill i'm a bit of a uh i'm a collector myself i suppose right well i am too but i, I collect you know like stuff that could be replaceable i try to not to collect anything super special i know that sounds kind of strange um, no i understand yeah. because uh loss it's like there's the um the other side to that if it's yeah. special then like how do you deal with the loss of it that's my fear i'm losing that object that's so special and how i will deal with it also yeah get, getting a gift from someone that's very special to them giving it to you is a special gift mm -hmm. and uh that sometimes makes me uh scared <laughs> right because <laughs> that's a responsibility and you're like oh no what do i do now <laughs> i'm afraid yeah. I'm, I'm gonna misplace that object and that's like a huge like yeah. you know that, that becomes like an obsession with me like oh where did i put it where did i put oh it's there okay it's there i'll keep it there <laughs> yeah i think it's one of the great lessons in life is like you know how to appreciate objects that of meaning of great meaning and then how to let them go if they 
if they leave our orbit. Uh, yeah. You know, that's the big, that's the big, that's the rub, right? Yes, it yes. is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's the rub. It's, and again, you know, I mean, it's such a conceptual book and it, 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 to, me it's all, to me, it's a visual art book as well, at least a visual art book about ideas. Yeah. And ideas about collecting, ideas about objects. Um, right. He, he really has a whole wide net and he's catching lots of interesting stuff through this book. Yeah, I love the section where he's got photos that the woman who cast it initially sends all these sort of process photos, and then he juxtaposes those with photos from Emily Dickinson's herbarium. And yes. um, it's so beautiful how he sort of sees a connection between the two of how these are sort of almost scientific to a certain degree, but they have a very human touch to them about the way that these photo these objects were arranged and um you know it's very personal Mm. um as well as being this sort of documentation that's got a scientific bent to it so i thought that was really beautiful i loved how he compared those two Mm. yeah i agree that's a nice section it's um i mean he's really talking about the cartography of collection in some ways yeah Um, I don't know. Like again, this book works on so many levels. I, yeah. I just I think it's brilliant. And again, I don't I don't know of any comparison volume. I it's just something that I will recommend to people for years to come. And um, you know, it's it's also something that uh, broke me out of a bit of uh, post pandemic mm. reader's block. Yes, I understand. I, just, that. I devoured it. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a beautiful thing when something can move you to that degree. It's about someone's world that's with them and it's not separated from them. And he really, he really comments on his world in such an intimate manner. It's in a way, it's sort of like going through someone's house or through someone's uh, collection, right? Mm-hmm. You're going through his collection. Mm-hmm. So you, mm-hmm. he's not only sharing the collection because most of those things may not be that important to you as a reader, but you, but the passion he has for, these objects, especially the gum, of course, is um, <laughs> is very seductive and very uh, understandable. And it's not a very long book, but it's no. just so multi-layered. It's yeah. so rich. Yeah. Um, I mean, and yeah, like a third of it is photos. It's it's a yeah. very quick read, but um, it is kind of amazing just how layered it is. Yeah, not not a wasted moment. No, it's really it's one of my favorite books that we've read in quite a while. So. The book we're talking about is Nina Simone's Gum by Mr. Warren Ellis. We don't know if he's a professor. Dr. Warren Ellis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, and he didn't title the book Dr. Nina Simone's Gum. No, no. That might have been an editor's job. No, no. (laughs) You know, I did think the whole time I was reading, I was like, wonder what Nina Simone would have thought of all this. She would have been like rolling her eyes i'm sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i would Apparently think so. her daughter knows about it and she was uh she was quite fond of the project i think is what my yeah. understanding is <laughs> yeah which is sweet and she and, and he treats i mean they are the whole book treats nina simone as a, as a great artist and you know yeah. it'll it, 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 be i mean if nina simone read this book she might think okay that's kind of weird or you know, <laughs> interesting she might think as it should be as it should be yes yeah uh, like, i think she would i think she would have enjoyed the um adulation yes and yeah. adoration yeah. especially a family member you know like a daughter of you know about her mother it's it's, it's uh-huh. really wonderful it's a wonderful uh-huh. book. yeah 
So yes, yeah, so Warren Ellis's Nina Simone's Gum. Uh, we all love it a lot. We recommend it highly. And uh, you should get it immediately because <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So you get it now. Yeah, there are supply chain issues, in, you know, affecting the book industry as well. There so, you go. Yes. Yes. Oh, boy. Get it now. Yes. yes. Hold on to that left sock because you can't find the right sock. And it might be hard to replace that right sock. So be careful, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Kimberly, what, what's our next? Do we, do we have a next subject matter that we're going to We do. Here? In fact, uh, the next book we're going to be reading is called The History of Bones, a memoir by John Lurie. We yes. all love John Lurie, so I'm looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. That sounds great. John Lurie's gum. <laughs> <laughs> well, I stood behind him once at a coffee house in New York, and uh, I should have grabbed his coffee cup. <laughs> you should have. You know, I, I have a friend who I know from Tower Records days who uh, – was a huge REM fan and um, somehow came into possession of a one a bite a, a toasted garlic bread piece with a bite out of it that Michael Stipe had taken. <laughs> it was it was in uh, his freezer for years. Oh, that's so. hysterical. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Frank, wherever you are, I'm sorry that I've divulged that information. <laughs> no judgment. Uh, no, no judgment. Whatever rocks your world. <laughs> as long as it's not body parts. <laughs> Michael, Stipe's, Michael Stipe's garlic bread. <laughs> <laughs> See a new book coming out soon. <laughs> so, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us on this. Yes, episode thank you so today. much. I am very happy to be here. And as I said, it's an honor and a privilege. Um, I love what you guys are doing on book music. Thank you. And I can't wait to um, check out the new, the, all of your new episodes coming up. So thank you so much for listening. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news. And we've got playlists to accompany all of our episodes on Spotify and Apple Music. And links to everything are on our website at bookmusic.com. B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Andrea. That was so much fun. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.